is your product protected? Can you can you optimize your packaging to not only be more environmentally friendly, but also to to give a great customer experience as well? So that's definitely something that that most people can do. Welcome to the 10K Collective podcast for six, seven and eight figure Amazon and e-commerce sellers, part of the amazing FBA podcast family. If you want to scale fast, target a seven figure exit and enjoy the process, then keep listening. Do you want to grow your business bigger and faster? A free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find missed golden opportunities. I generally charge $150 or more per hour, but this would be free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing a few thousand dollars a month in sales already. Just visit myamazonaudit.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit, and book in a time. That's myamazonaudit.com. Look forward to speaking to you on your audit. Ladles and jelly spoons, boys and girls, welcome back to the 10K Collective Podcast, the place for six, seven, and eight figure e-commerce brand owners. We are Amazon focused, but in the end, it does come back to your products. We are talking today to Bonnie Hall, very expert lady, co-founder of Census 8. She has 20 years and plus experience of helping people with their products development and product sourcing and helps brands unleash the full potential of their product portfolio. That sounds very grand. Bonnie, welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Michael. Appreciate it. So we've had you on before, but just a, a quick, give us a quick potted history of, of who you are and, and, you know, what brings you to this point. Yeah. So I come from a, a background of, of e-commerce, actually joining a company as it started from scratch, growing into absolute global e-commerce business, which managing 250 plus suppliers, 5,000 SKUs, and a huge percentage of that being own brand as well. So all around the world. And now within Census 8, so a new business myself and um, my co-founder, Vicky Jackson, set up. We're now helping brands and retailers around the world. So working across Europe, Japan, China, America, to look at their product sourcing, design, development, and how they can optimize their product range to in make their product really work harder for them. Excellent. That sounds good. And we all want our products working harder so that we don't work so hard. That's a nice idea. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I've never quite discovered most people doing a passive income thing as it's advertised, but sometimes you can make a lot more money from the same business, which is always good. So today we're talking about something I think quite specific. So see if I can pick from your amazing knowledge, the, the relevant information here. So a lot of people have if they've got a successful business, they've obviously got a product that it sells well and or a handful of products. And even if you've got a big catalog, it often the 80-20 rule applies or more realistically, the 95-5 rule, which is if you've got a thousand SKUs, you probably, you know, if you're 50, if you're lucky, you're doing most of the heavy lifting. And so if you're smart enough, you will take one of the existing products and go, hmm, how do we sort of duplicate this? I create another version of this because a lot of successful businesses are built on a really narrow range of products and they do really well. So the question is then, how do we go about doing that in a practical way from the design or development or sourcing point of view? So that's really the question we're here to answer, to, to pick your brains about. So how do we even start? I mean, what's, what's your starting point with something like Well, starting point is customer and starting point is data. So if you're lucky enough to be established and you're lucky enough to be 
doing well, it's absolutely understanding the data that you've got at your fingertips, what your sales are. It's understanding and really data. I absolutely love it. Although I'm product focused, I love the data behind it. And really for me, it's the product data. So if you are an established business, have you got your product data, the fundamental foundation set up in a way that allows you to interrogate it and give you answers? So this might be about how you've categorized your range. You know, have you, have you been able to categorize a product that's similar to another in a way so you can say, you know, how well is this type of product performing? You know, does it sell at certain times of the year? All these different things. So that to me is absolutely fundamental. And that can really give you the gaps and opportunities by looking at that data, you're seeing those gaps and opportunities. They should kind of pop out as to say, you know, right, this product's doing well. Also within it, as well as looking, obviously, at the competitors, looking at the market, looking at what others are doing and what you're seeing trending and, and where there's opportunities identified through that. So the, those are kind of two real fundamentals for me is, yeah, what's your data saying and what did the market actually want in as well? Yeah, excellent. I like the fact that you're starting with your own data because a lot of people just look straight at the market, notice the competition snapping at their heels and kind of their instinct is to copy what the competition's doing. And obviously that just means you're in a head-to-head competition. And normally the person with the biggest uh, willingness and or budget wins in in my experience. So we've got to be a little bit smarter about it. And looking at your own data, as you say, if you've set it up the right way, could you give us uh, an example of a client where you've seen or your own experience in in the company you've worked at where you looked at the product data and you saw a gap? How do you set it up and how do you find those gaps? Yeah, so absolutely. So, so my approach would be, you know, again, lucky enough in the way it's set up. So looking at perhaps by depending on the type of range you've got, but a category, for example, so you may take a product category. Again, over, over the years, the solutional method that I found worked very well was instructing the product where you've got a, a, a breadth of kind of price point and quality is a good, better, best method. That's how we would do. So what is your good product um, within this? Where's your best? Where's your better and where's your best? What's, what are the functionalities you would expect within each of those? What's your price point you'd expect? Is there a difference in performance of the product? Is there a difference in look and feel and branding? So that allowed, in my experience, kind of build a structure that you could then look at the range. Have you got the right range? within those and are there opportunities so it might be you're in a category you're looking at your product range and actually functionality wise you're just all in that kind of good better have you is there an opportunity actually to say right i've got a bestseller that's in better can i then actually build on the functionality build on something to offer an improved product at perhaps you know a slightly higher price point that can actually offer the customer something that they can't currently get from me and that's a way that you might choose to kind of use your data to build those those gaps. Okay. So if I understand it, that you're the good, better, best thing is is trying to identify if you've got products that are good but could be better in the, the classic school report, isn't it, in, in Britain anyway. So how do you go about that? Are you comparing it relative to the other offerings in the marketplace? Is that how you'd define good? So yeah, it will be within your own portfolio. So you might have your own, I mean, really product. There's no specific lines of what makes something good or something makes it, makes it the best, makes it premium offering and that. So you'll kind of set those yourselves, but it's absolutely like the, the customer. So I'm just trying to think there's a, there's a good product kind of degree. Example. So if you could give us a really great help us to get our heads around. <laughs> yeah. Let's think about. So let me think. Okay. So 
candles, massage candles, and go to something that I developed and, and sourced them in. So you might have a product which is um, a small, basic, you know, let's just say it's, it's a strawberry scented candle. Um, it's in a tin. It's at a price point. Let's say it's at five pound price point. You're able to buy a lot of them. It, they, there's nothing really special. It's an OEM white label product. You've just put a label on to make it your own. That's kind of your good entry. Then you might have something. You might have a range which is more apothecary. So maybe you've put it into a ceramic jar and it's got it's in a box and it's in a gift box and it's it's a far more kind of luxurious product. So you're kind of marketing these and one's maybe £10 or, or $10 and one's £20, $20. So you've kind of got your, your good and you've got your better. You might come into this and you might discover that actually um, either you're seeing, you're inspired by someone else in the industry or there's a new type of candle material. Maybe you, have, you could have an organic one and it could have soy and it could be, you know, in a gift box or things. So it's about also then thinking, what's that evolution? If you're selling a lot of these, is there an opportunity to offer the customer something that's different? Reading the reviews, maybe customers are feeding back that they really like this, but, or, and using the reviews as well to help evolve the product and identify where you can improve it as well, or expand upon what's already a bestseller. And that's a good example as well. You might have one scent in your massage oil or your, or your massage candle and actually well, brilliant. These are selling well. How can I then actually move into others and expand it? So looking at, you know, new colors or new ingredients or new fragrance. Where is that kind of benefit and USB for the consumer? Why would they uh, continue to buy into your range? Yeah, I really like this. And this, this reinforces the, the basic point, which I should probably bang people out of the head with, which is if you like to put a fancy word with it, strategy. And another one is common sense, which is find out what works and do a lot more of it. And it's surprisingly how people miss that. And what you're talking about is really great. So I really like this. Uh, good would be a standard thing that's just out there, white label. And th at that point, most people just go, well, this is selling for five quid. I'm making a, a razor thin margin after Amazon ads. And now I'm going to go and source 20 more of those. And that, this is the point at which I would say screeching halt, please, and do what Bonnie's just said, because it's so much more profitable and creates so much more of a real identity and brand, I would say. So the better ceramic jar. I really like this, but that's another fantastic phrase. The but is really helpful as opposed to going, oh God, a three-star review. You know, how could I actually make this amazing, but charge for it? I like that a lot. And as you say, inspired by somebody in the industry, we, we're, give, we're bringing in that, let's frankly copy people idea, but nuanced by developing on what you've already done. So you're not just abandoning what you've done, nor are you ignoring the competition. You're bringing them in at the right point. I, I really, really like that. And, and just to hammer this point home, folks, I, I know so many people with, especially with a smaller business, people go, oh, I, I think my, I think I've kind of maxed out my product category. And I go, mm, yeah, how much are you selling a year? hundred thousand. I'm like, if you're doing less than in the States, a million dollars a year is the number that I've heard. If you haven't maxed out your niche until you've done that, really, it's amazing how you can build an entire business based around, frankly, three products with a, a metric ton of, of variations, right? Is that something you've seen in, in bigger businesses as well? Or is it just my experience? No, I think it's, I think it's absolutely true. You've got a lot of opportunities. I mean, you've got the really obvious ones, colors, <laughs> some industries, you've got sizes, you've got shape, you've got functionality. So again, like the benefits of a product, you know, moving from, from one to the other and having extra functionality, extra benefits to the customer. Materials is, you know, an absolutely kind of obvious one of 
a premium material versus a less premium and, and that experience of customer. And where I just spoke, you know, about the organic, the ingredients, you know, all those different opportunities as well to cater to different kind of consumers with different needs. If you're, you're making food things, you know, there are vegan version that you can do, you know, all those kind of ideas. And the other ones really is the opportunity to also bundle your product. So I know on Amazon, you know, the, you customers also buy this, but actually pre-packaging product into kits. So one of the things that, you know, we would, we would look at is how is the customer using products and, and how do you create maybe an experience? So you're not just selling a single product, you're maybe selling you know, a border experience. So say you're in stationery, probably an old old style one, but you know, you might sell a notebook and you bought a pen and you've got a pencil case. But you know, the back of the school bundle where you put them together and it's a kit and it's experience and it's giftable. So also thinking about the types of consumers buying the product, what occasions are they or what's what's creating the need to buy the product and can you develop the product and package it in such a way that you're specifically meeting a customer needs. So I think that's also a way to further evolve the range without having to do a lot of extra investment in new product development as well. Yeah, I think it always blows my mind how both when I look at what's available and my own consumer behavior, say around Valentine's Day, which is just passed here in the UK, and I'll go out and buy something that I wouldn't dream of buying most of the time. Why? Because there's a sort of massive commercial driver combined with, you know, the one you love with expectations and same applies to Christmas or birthdays, but that's not the only time, is it? You know, so you could buy another thing like my wife used to get this, this thing uh, that she'd signed up for that made me feel really guilty that I wasn't doing this for her, of course. And that was uh, a fairly randomized box of stuff, which didn't even tell you what you were going to get, but it was a kind of a mixture of, I don't know what notebooks and, and sort of nice soaps or whatever. But somehow that was a genius bit of marketing over substance because basically the expectation and the bundle and the surprise and the regularity of it and the vibe around it was what they were selling. And they were probably chucking in it whatever they had spare that they couldn't sell that month, I think. But that, that was like the most extreme example of how bundling, but how you, you tie in bundling with an occasion or a, a not even an occasion in that case, a sort of vibe. I thought that was genius. And yes, people underuse that as well. Although some people sort of push that to extremes. I, I do know people, by the way, just to underline the point that I know people whose businesses are entirely based around bundling, mostly with existing products that, that aren't their own. I wouldn't suggest it's a very defensible or sellable business, but it shows how far you can go with it, right? So again, yes, a mostly underused thing. So we're talking about packaging here. Tell me a bit about sourcing packaging and, and developing that. How do you it's obviously critical and, and can add a lot of value without the pain of product development, but it does require development itself. What, what's your experience around? So packaging, I mean, I've been very lucky, I believe, kind of really within the supply chain I've worked in. I'm The main learnings I've had is has been, and other people have different, I've tended to work with the factory who are producing the product on the packaging. I've done it both ways where I've worked on with one supplier for packaging and then had them ship the packaging to four or five different factories because that product has to be on the shelf somewhere in a retail environment. So it has to have the same packaging. You get into a lot of communication issues and you'll get into a lot of blame as, oh, well, they didn't order it. It hasn't arrived and it hasn't. And where it's actually working with where I've been, you know, working with one supplier with even naming them the packaging who they have to buy from, but they manage that relationship versus free issuing packaging. So Having worked kind of with, with kind of the factory side where I stand on that is, is getting again 
sample of packaging that you're you're giving to them that they're matching to in terms of quality that does help so whether that's if you haven't obviously produced your own packaging yet having an example of the quality on competitors or not even within your industry packaging to say i'm looking for this grade of paper this grade of finish this is what i'm looking for and obviously the sampling stage and phases of packaging absolutely fundamental by working with your supplier, you can also generally, they're responsible in making sure that the fit, that the dye line's right, that the fit, that they can do drop tests, that they can make sure it's protected the product because they also know the product. They want the product to have a great experience all the way to the consumer. And that's where there's also another benefit versus working with a packaging supplier separately who doesn't know the product and doesn't know how it should actually fit in the product. So that that's my experience on it. So utilizing that expertise within your supply chain. And there's also benefits in cost saving in that as well. So yeah. Do you want to grow your Amazon business bigger or faster? I bet you do. If so, a free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find some golden missed opportunities. Generally, I charge at least $150 an hour these days for my time, but this is free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing at least a few thousand dollars a month in sales. If you are, just go to myamazonaudits.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit and book in a time and we'll see each other on a Zoom call. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z or Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T.com. Thank you very much for listening and I hope to see you on a call soon. I think I'm with you on the working with your own factory who produces the product. I mean, you just got to look at, I suppose, the situation, right? which is the gnarly, tricky bit, and um, which is a sort of add-on and work with the person who nails the tricky bit, right? And add on other things. As you say, the coordination problem, if you're on the other side of the world and they're in China, or for that matter, it doesn't really matter if they're in China or India or any other culture where you've got so, um, communication problems. But even if you do it in Britain down the road, you're still relying on coordinating two separate people. And suddenly everyone can blame the other person. So yeah, you're right. I've, I've been there. I think it is a lot easier to find out to the product producer. The only caveat on that is you, if you really want to do incredibly premium packaging, you may find that you pay so much by doing it that way. If you can do it independently yourself, you may save a lot of money. But then, as you say, you have got all the, comp- the, 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 the complication. And making sure it fits the product is one thing, but protecting the product 100%. Uh, particularly if you're shipping ceramic glass jars that are premium product around the world, or glassware. I've had clients who work with glassware, and I just kind of shudder slightly, even they even say the word glass and international freight. So yeah, it can be critical, can't it, to, to really, really check that. And and uh, yeah, the the least desirable thing in the planet, just to underline this, folks, is do not sell glass stuff without thinking through the packaging and send it straight to Amazon without inspecting after shipment. Because guess what? One star reviews. I'm just saying. So yes, you're you're not wrong about the drop test. Okay. Well, so we talked about you know, expanding the product range and uh, finding the gap in your portfolio. Um, let's dig a little bit more into that. So what what are the, let, let me just broaden this out and talk about some real world examples here. You do a lot of work with clients. You've worked in big businesses in this sector for a long time. What are the classic missed opportunities that you think most people have made in your experience? So give me some examples of that, which I guess the flip side of which is you could be you know, using this in your business. So let me be more mm-hmm. specific, expanding from missed opportunities where you look at that catalogue and go, why aren't you doing more of X? One of the areas, I mean, colour is is often just seen as a very quick thing. You know, that that's not normally an issue. 
I'd probably say the functionality of certain products or what are the actual benefits of the products. So where we're seeing more gaps is where clients are not necessarily going back into the customer. How are they using it? So maybe they've got a product, it's absolutely selling well. Brilliant. You know, that's exactly doing what my customers need. But what they're not thinking is then about what it could do even, even more. So thinking, there's a, there's an actual example of it, but it's, um, it's trying to think in terms of like the categories. Um, yeah, apologies. I don't think I have an exact example. Um, so. But it's, it's, yeah, that's what I'm trying to, apologies, just trying to get across. So, Bonnie, let's uh, zoom out a little bit. What is the biggest missed opportunity, would you say, that, or what are the biggest missed opportunities in product development? You, you talked about color or functionality. Have you got a concrete example or two where people were selling a product and they actually could have developed two, three, four more products around that? Yeah, so I think it, it it definitely happens. You know, people miss out because they can sometimes become complacent. They've got a product, it's a bestseller, it's performing well, and they're not necessarily looking at what new opportunities are there. So that's something we definitely see with clients. So within our category, for example, you know, let's think about kind of like electronic massages. You know, you might have a product that's doing really well. And, and if I think back 15 years ago, they were all running on batteries. You know, everyone was like, oh, brilliant. Not only are we selling the product battery, we're selling the consumable batteries as well for the product. Fantastic. Making loads of money. But as technology is changing and your opportunities and the customer changing, you know, a good, good example here is rechargeable technology came, came along. Rechargeable technology when it first came out was incredibly expensive. Um, in the industry we were in, you know, it was kind of the premium products had recharged tech. You know, you'd be have to be selling something which is a hundred, 150 pounds. Um, but then within a very short space of time, that price started coming down. And now that same technology, you're able to get a product that's, you know, on Amazon in some instances, 20 pounds, 25 pounds. So again, there's times where you'll become complacent or you look at an opportunity. You can't afford it or you don't, it's not the right time. But then that, that there's something shifts within the, the market and that, that actually allows you that that opportunity is now open to you. So you also can't, if there's something that you say no to one day, it doesn't need to be still a no, you know, two years later. So it's also once you're looking at your range, looking at the, optim- the opportunities that you're revisiting the bigger picture, the wider picture every year so that you can really take advantage of what's happening because we are in, you know, a changing world right now. Yeah, I, I like that a lot. And by the way, I, I just happen to know about the chargeable versus non-rechargeable batteries thing because I used to sell. This is a sample from one of my suppliers back in the day. That things along these lines of LED lighting. So I used to sell LED lighting for musicians. So that was my sort of day job back in the day. And and exactly that happened. So we I, I sold the stuff which you put a couple of AA batteries in, you know, small batteries, and and then there was a rechargeable version. And actually. For a little time, I managed to dominate the sort of rechargeable music stand-like category in Amazon in the US, which is very, very small niche. And by the way, I wouldn't advocate, just as anyone's listening, if you're starting from scratch with a new product category, don't go into electronics from China. I'm just saying that it's not easy, right? It doesn't mean you can't do it, but really need to do quality control. The thing about electronics is it it, it works, it works, and then it fails, and nobody can see with the, vis- you know, the naked eye, unlike a physical thing like a candle's got a crack in it, you can see it. But... That has exactly been my experience. That came from, went from being a special thing to a standard thing to a, if you don't have this, you're not even competing. And so, yes, that, that can change quite quickly. So keeping an eye on 
the development of technologies is great. Like that. Give us another example if you have one. Uh, I like this a lot because concrete examples really help people to get the, the creative juices flowing a bit. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think of areas. I mean, materials for us, again, we in the industry I worked in is one of the the biggest things, actually. Materials, so going from, you know, TP, TPR-based kind of product material that's got certain functionality, whether it's the texture, the softness of it, to, again, silicon dominating dominating an industry that, again, used to be premium, was highly highly expensive and and evolving so again looking at so people still even today i see brands and retailers with products manufactured in tpa tpr at a price point so what is tpr i sorry thermoplastic something something okay so it's some kind of basic plastic yeah it's like a soft rubber or let's say yeah like kind of like a soft stretchy plastic you kind of the you used to see in children's toys but then the whole kind of phalates thing came out and, and they've kind of changed a lot of those materials. But it's a kind of it's kind of an indication again of of where materials are changing. A lot of people don't want to say no to those old bestsellers that are still in those materials. So rather than thinking about how they can evolve those, remake them in newer, more modern materials, give the customer a better experience. I see a lot of retailers keep those. Then they introduce the new ones. New ones never quite perform as well because these old ones are still clinging on. And it's actually making that decision to say, can I switch those off? Actually, they're no good for the customer anymore. And um, when we've been talking about electricals just just now as well, there's a, a law come in in America. I think it's in EU, um, Australia, around 20 little cell batteries, the little kind of vinic cell batteries. So again, about the the way you've got to um, have them you know, in sealed They've got to be, you know, not accessible to children. They've got to be marked correctly on packaging. You know, it's created a lot of issues around compliance in this area. Absolutely rightly so, because they can be dangerous, you know, if got hold or used in a way. But that also is, is, is within some industries had a big implication in the type of product and what you then need to do to evolve what might have been a bestseller using their batteries to being then needing to use rechargeable technology or thinking differently. So. The reason to evolve comes from so many different areas, so many different opportunities. It's kind of keeping abreast of it and, and being aware of it that, so that you can kind of keep up to date as well. Yeah, interesting. So sometimes you're saying, I suppose the drivers of evolution aren't always, I would like to make more money, but sometimes materials develop and that's a sort of market shift. And I guess what I was understanding from what you said is that sometimes you can remake something in new material, but if you can't let go of the old product, it's basically cannibalizing sales and over time i guess also it doesn't help your brand if you are perceived as the person on the back end of a technology shift which is also not environmentally friendly that's like a bit of a double no-no for you know younger consumers people are invoking millennials but millennials run the world now i suppose it's zoomers isn't it but yeah it depends on your consumers doesn't it some people might like old-fashioned in which case i would argue you want to dig further into that don't make it out of plastic make it out of sustainable wood or whatever it is by the way that's a Another product category, not to touch lightly wood, isn't it? I mean, compliance with that is, is tricky. But yes, instead of reacting to compliance changes, I guess you can wrap it up if the smart businesses, I think, wrap up their, the things that are going to force them to change anyway into a virtue. So instead of saying, oh my God, we're going to change from cell batteries to rechargeable because we've got no choice because otherwise Uncle Sam's going to be after us. You can say, we've decided to change to rechargeable batteries because we love the environment and wrap that in a whole bunch of marketing, right? Now it's pretty, in reality is not like that, but that's called marketing. And I think the smart people see those changes coming, don't they? 
Are there any other thoughts about the sort of compliance-driven changes that, that are coming down the pike? Because that's a very good point. Is there anything else significant across the board or I mean, details? Published on the compliance, would you, I mean, the, the, one of, again, dependent on the legislation within your industry. So, for example, the industry I've worked in was, was unlegislated, but there is a new ISO that's been written that was then giving guidance on improved customer experience, quality and safety. Um, and actually, at the end of the day, all the products that we make, you know, that it's in, it's imperative really that anybody with it in their home that that product's safe and is working in the way that in which it's been designed to work. So again, it's understanding and looking at what the requirements are within your category. What I would say, one of the ones that's a much more broader that I'm seeing impact all categories is obviously on the packaging. So the plastic-free, the you know moving away from laminations, moving away where possible, maybe from foils using you know, dyes that that are more environmentally friendly, is your packaging made of recycled materials? Can it be recycled? So I think the breadth on the packaging legislation and what's happening within that is going to have a broader effect on every retailer really in the world. And I can definitely see that changing, you know, kind of more rapidly right now and becoming, and from a consumer point of view. So again, we did projects and research into what's important for, you know, the consumer. We're in a really struggling as an e-commerce business, you know, myself and, and your listeners, we're conscious of the fact we've got the opportunity to save money. We could put it in a little brown box, really. The, does the packaging really matter to the consumer? But you're balancing it with your brand, you're balancing it with the customer experience of, you know, the, the delight and excitement of opening it if you're in a gifting area, you know, maybe less, has less of interest in some categories, but it's really trying to balance that as well, the functionality, the cost, the experience and and legislation as to what you need to be doing. So yeah, I'd say packaging is probably one of the the big opportunities if people haven't been looking at that to look at what you're doing. Are you shipping air? Is your product protected? Can you can you optimize your packaging to not only be more environmentally friendly, but also to to give a great customer experience as well. So that's definitely something that, that most people can do. Brilliant. And I think your question, are you shipping air? The nice result of if the answer is yes, then the beautiful thing is you can not only be more environmentally friendly, but save yourself a chunk of money. And in the end, the two should align, shouldn't they? My mother is an absolutely diehard environmentalist. And so it's not just younger people. I mean, she's in, her, she's in late 70s now. But, you know, for somebody like that, it's all about the environment. That's like 100% the frism she puts every single decision through. And, and you know, that's becoming a lot more mainstream and there's more of a blend of things. But if you get it right, I think the, the money and the marketing and the environment, if you actually care about it yourself, do align. And the other thing is, if you can do brown paper packaging, you're actually in the eco sort of world. It's almost a virtue. And I think everything's sort of corn colored, isn't it? Sort of vague, Brit beige. And that's been a sort of signal for this is recycled slash environmentally friendly for two or three generations in my experience so that can be a virtue the only thing i'd warn you against is putting it in some nasty looking packaging that doesn't look at all branded it needs to be part of an overall decision doesn't it but nevertheless saving money and saving the environment and pleasing your customer at the same time big opportunity i, I like that a lot really really like that good well look bonnie tons of, uh, to think about you've obviously got a, a load of massive expertise in in all these areas you know decades of experience if people want to get some help from you, what do you help them with and how do they get help? So we can help really all the way through from a product concept to product delivery. If it's a new product idea with a new brand or if it's a established retailer or brand looking to go into a new market, 
we can also help with that. So whether that's sourcing, supplier management, supplier selection, supplier negotiation. So that's obviously a key area. Quality compliance is also an area. So one of my colleagues, Paul Jacks, is part of the Census 8 team. You know, I think he's 40 years experience in this category now. So also a key area that we can help retailers and brands. I would say if you're trying to develop a premium uh, brand, people spend an awful lot of money on marketing. If you don't spend that time and energy making sure your product is really, really good when consumers use it and continues to be good, not after, you know, six months, then that's a solid basis. So yeah, don't overlook the boring compliance stuff. That's absolutely critical. So if people want to get hold of you, where do they go? What do they do? So you can find me on LinkedIn. So search me through Bonnie Hall at Census 8. And also we've got our website. So www.census8.com. So please do reach out. There's contact form on the website as well. We'd love to hear from you. Amazing. So my final question is always an interesting one. As like all the best things in the world, it's pinched from somebody else. What have I not asked you about that I should have asked you about? What question should I have asked you? Oh, I've got so many things that I love talking about. One of the ones actually, just from that last conversation we were having about sustainability, one of the things that I am super keen on, and it, it's something that I'm looking at, is actually the end life cycle of a product. So it's actually about when the product's no longer in use, how, you know, is it being recycled? Can it be recycled? What advice you can give your customers in that? And it just came to light as you were talking about your, your mother and her experience in the environment. And I think this is becoming more and more relevant for us as well as a as a team who are making creating product what happens to our product when it's no longer got a life and, and that actually is something we're you know quite passionate about and working more and more with clients about how to to also then dispose and, and recycle product as well so that would be something for maybe another podcast in the future <laughs> that's obviously a, a passion of yours and i think that Again, I would just that the more perhaps should we say commercial or even skeptical, cynical me would say, if you're going to go to the trouble of doing this, which you should, of course, and you probably will have to from compliance and legislation point of view, don't forget to use that as a marketing piece as well, because otherwise you're incurring costs and you're not getting a benefit from it. So, but nevertheless, that that's a very interesting point and not one I've heard anyone mention. But as soon as you say that, I mean, I visualize, you know my rubbish going out to wherever it goes to and thinking yeah of course that's a huge huge thing so it makes sense but without going down that rabbit hole interesting and thought-provoking like all the, the things you've said today bonnie very very helpful stuff indeed bonnie hall of senses eight many many thanks for coming on the show thank you michael do you want to grow your amazon business bigger or faster i bet you do if so, a free audit of your Amazon business can help you see and avoid threats and find some golden missed opportunities. Generally, I charge at least $150 an hour these days for my time, but this is free. You can be a reseller or a brand owner. All I ask is that you're doing at least a few thousand dollars a month in sales. If you are, just go to myamazonaudit.com, scroll down, click on Amazon Audit, and book in a time and we'll see each other on a Zoom call. That's M-Y-A-M-A-Z or Z-O-N-A-U-D-I-T dot com. Thank you very much for listening and I hope to see you on a call soon. Thanks for listening to the 10K Collective podcast for six and seven figure Amazon sellers. I really hope you found the show helpful to you. Please don't forget to subscribe to the show and if you're on Apple Podcasts, please do leave us a quick star rating. 
It will take you all of 30 seconds to do it, but it does mean we can be found by and help many more e-commerce business builders. I wish you fast and profitable scaling, and I hope you enjoy the process of building your seven-figure Amazon business. Thanks very much for listening.